The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice and Rev. Dan Beckett. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery on Unity Online Radio. We're glad you're with us today. I am Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice. And I'm Rev. Dan Beckett. And together we discuss the ways that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your recovery journey. If you are listening live, you're welcome to join the discussion with your comments and questions. You can call us anytime during the show at 816-251-3555. Again, that number is 816-251-3555, and we would love to hear from you. And Facebook users, you can also message us during the show or anytime during the week from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Just click the Send Message button right below the banner. And just as with phone calls, your anonymity is always respected. So we don't shoot our wounded. We have a very active inner critic that berates us for every little perceived mistake we make once we're in recovery. It probably did it before, too. But we try very hard, and yet we seem to miss the mark fairly often. We see others fail and try again. So today, we want to share some tips and spiritual principles that led us from condemnation to compassion. And we'll begin by sharing our own experiences of that inner critic that uh, focuses on ourselves and on others. And then also talk about uh, what compassion is. How do we know what that looks like? How can we cultivate it in ourselves? And then after the break, we'll share how we used compassion to move out of that habit of criticism of self and others and into a life of serenity. So Lonnie, what's your memory of or experience with that inner critic, especially early in recovery when it seems to be the loudest for many of us? Well, you know, early in recovery, I brought all of the... uh all of the habits of thinking and being into recovery with me that I had prior to that, you know, they just weren't masked with, you know, substances at that point, which means that I had a very active inner critic. You're doing it wrong. You know, I wanted to know how to do it right, how to do recovery right. Um, You know, follow the directions, follow the book, listen to what people said, check all the boxes, and then I would be okay, right? You know, that was kind of what what came in uh, with me. But I I reflected back on this question and realized that I've had this inner critic with me nearly my whole life. You know, even as a child, I'm trying to do things right, and I'm criticizing myself for not being able to do it right. Maybe, maybe, uh, I don't know. I don't know what causes that, but I do know that it's been with me for a very, very long time. 
I suspect that um, I, I know for myself, and I suspect there are many who are listening to us who can identify with that experience. It seems like, um, you know, the kinds of troubles that we encounter, especially early in sobriety, are not new, right? They were just uh, avoided for so long until our go-to solution didn't work, right? It works till it doesn't. And when it stopped working, boy, then we get to uh, get toe-to-toe with those things. Uh, and this is one of them. What comes to mind for me when I think about uh, kind of having a critical mind is we talk in the literature, we read in the literature about a thousand forms of fear. And I believe that all all those various forms of fear can show up in me as criticism as sort of as a defense mechanism. Like I don't want something to go wrong. And so you're doing it wrong or, or I'm doing it wrong. And so something bad's going to happen. And underneath all that criticism is just one, one or more of those thousand forms of fear. And so when I think about what is criticism of self and of others look like uh, in me, especially in early sobriety, it, it looks like, a response to being afraid of many different things. And, you know, for me, I always had a, a mask, if you will. You know, I, I wanted to and tried to show up like I knew what I was doing. I got it together. I've got my act together. And even in some ways that showed up when I first uh, got sober because people would go, what, you, what, really? You know, because I didn't have some of the external displays of unmanageability that other people you know, thought were associated with this malady. And so, you know, if you act like you've got it together on the outside, but you've got this active inner critic and this this inferiority complex going on on the inside, there's this really big disconnect. And for me, it led me to this place of who am I anyway? Yeah, I, I think that that, uh, I can identify with that experience as well. Um, it It all seems to stem for me from, some kind of worry or anxiety, which, um, as, as you shared about that inner critic, uh, I, I feel like I can identify just a general worry and anxiety uh, in myself going way, way back. In fact, I'm, I'm pretty sure that, um, you know, reaching for uh, something to alleviate that is what led me down the road toward uh, addiction and then recovery. And, and my worry and anxiety tends to uh, show up in the form of uh, concern, worry that that things won't work out. It's not working. You know, it, it ha- it's happening to me still today. I'm presented with opportunities. Oh, oh, the car won't start. Oh, well, it's obviously a dead battery, except we go to jump it and it still won't start. Okay, not happy about that. I don't like it when things don't work and I don't know what's going on. And I know that that's a very old uh, way of being for me. Um, And clearly, I still have work to do on it. But, you know, criticizing myself and others, um, I should know what the problem is. Um, this shouldn't, they shouldn't have done that. If they had done that, then this wouldn't be happening. You know, that kind of thing ends up being pointed as, um, you know, showing up as criticism. And, and my belief in experience is that there's, there's one voice in my head, right? The same voice that criticizes me is the one that's criticizing you. It goes together. There's no such thing as me only criticizing myself and not criticizing others. I might not express it to others, but it's still there. It's, it's one critical voice. It looks within and it looks without. 
That's a really great point, you know, because uh, I had heard all along, if you spot it, you got it. And I can see it in somebody else being so negative and, and saying th- hurtful things and, you know, misbehaving and, and that kind of thing. But I couldn't see it in myself until somebody pointed it out. But that I've not heard it described the way that you just did. Same voice, which direction mm-hmm. is it pointing, Yeah, you know? And, you know, I, I've concluded that, you know, for me, a part of it was a survival mechanism. You know, I learned to use sarcasm uh, as a child, as a defense mechanism. I learned to uh, put up a wall. I learned to um, take in the aren't you you're not doing it right message and, you know, project that, well, this is what I'm doing, the defensiveness. And so this is I am right. But yet at the same time, question myself, really, I'm not doing it right. What could I do different? You know, which which led to all, all kinds of other things like hypervigilance and, and people pleasing and, you know, uh, approval seeking, all these kinds of behaviors that manifest as a result of this anxiety that you're talking about. You know, I had jotted down a note uh, as I asked myself, you know, what what does what does criticism of myself and others look like? Like, what does that experience look like, or what is it? It rooted in, and and I I thought, oh, it one way that it shows up, or you know, circumstances that will cause me to respond that way, are when I'm expecting others to provide peace, inner peace for me, by their actions. And then I thought, oh, we have a word for that. I think that's called codependence, right? That's like, <laughs> I'm not okay if you're doing this or not doing that. I need you to do this. Or I need you not to do that so that I can be okay. So I've linked, um, you know, my own uh, sense of peace or balance to what someone else is doing, which of course I have no control over what other people do or don't do. So that's one source of criticism is, Hey, you're not doing, you're not doing it right. Cause you're making me uncomfortable. So I'm going to criticize you because I, I think you should be doing something different to make me comfortable. You know, for me, I think that is the whole f- root of the funnel of this thing is the codependence because I am not comfortable. Something else has to change and it's not me in order to become comfortable. Right. And so that's where all of the finger pointing and blame and everything else comes in. And and so for me, this, this inner voice is always questioning. I, I will take an action. I will uh, say something or I will do something or I'll, I'll, I'll move forward in a particular way on a project or whatever. And then there's this always this voice or voices, plural, the committee, I call it, in my head that's, that re-examines everything and plays it over three or four or five times. And, and what ifs, if I had done this instead, and why didn't you say that instead? And maybe you should have done this option in, in, otherwise, you know, that does all of that kind of thing. And that's what that self-questioning does. And it just drives the anxiety level up the wall. Another way that I see criticism showing up uh, in me again, and this is also very old, is as a it's sort of just a general disconnection from others Uh, for whatever reason, uh, as a young person, you know, as a kid, uh, I was not comfortable um, sharing, you know, who I was, what was going on with me, or I learned along the way that that was often uh, a bad idea. And so what that served to do is kind of keep me uh, focused within myself Uh, looking out at the world, and then, of course, making assessments of, also known as judgments, also known as criticism of of circumstances, of of other people and what they're doing. Um, I kind of 
decided at some point that it was really important to understand how stuff worked so that I could be safe and be okay. And that included, you know, how other people worked. What, you know, why did they do what they did or what, how were they likely to react in this or that situation so that I could anticipate it so that I could feel like I had some kind of, uh, you know, some sense of, um, I guess, power or control, not, not in the sense of controlling other people, making them do things, but uh, some, you know, sense of having a hand on the rudder of my own life, you know, and feeling like I had some, I had some power and some ability to navigate my own life. And that showed up, uh, you know, focused on what others were doing or not doing, which turns very quickly into criticism. And for me, I, I noticed that the, that, that there is a trigger for all of this and it is fear, but the trigger for me, the external trigger is somebody's reaction. Somebody's reaction to what I say or do or how I show up, they smile, they frown, they, they look at me quizzically, they say, really? You know, they question me. It's their reaction that then feeds this inner critic that, that causes me to start this cascade of questioning and, and what ifing, and which is the, is the codependency. And that spirals into all those things that you were just mentioning. And, and I am reminded that hand in hand with this goes this because of the feeling of lack of control, because now I'm spiraling out of control, um, is perfectionism. I got to do it right. I got to be mm. perfect. If I get it exactly right, nobody will react, you know, and, and that's what my fear was of. And so, you know, um, recognizing that that is is a piece of, of the trigger was important for me. Yeah, I have that. It shows up as uh, I need to understand it in, rather than it needs to be right. Very similar outcome. But so now that we know about the challenge of criticizing ourselves and others, what is the solution? Well, in Unity, we affirm that every challenge we face has a solution that begins in the realm of spirit. Uh, this is based on the idea that our experience of life is an expression of the beliefs we carry. If this is the case, then any change we desire for our life experience must be addressed first at the inner spiritual level. So this solution for being overly critical of ourselves and others is the pr spiritual principle of compassion, which begins within. And that's what we want to focus on today. But what does compassion look like in our day-to-day -day lives? And how can we go about finding it in ourselves and practicing it in the world? You know, it's, it's one of these really nice ideas, but where yeah. do we start? Dan? You know what I always found confusing and I find somewhat less confusing now is what is the difference between empathy, sympathy, and compassion? Because I believe that they're all related. Now, I've, I've learned along the way that, you know, empathy is an ability for me to, you know, feel what someone else is feeling, to make that connection. Um, that's not that's neither good nor bad, uh, but it, and it can also be at the root of codependence. Oh, you're feeling bad and I can feel it, so I need to save you so that I feel okay. You know, that's our definition of, of codependence. Uh, sympathy, um, I see uh, someone suffering and I, and I uh, you know, I can feel it, but sympathy has this dark side that I'm looking down on somebody. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's a little, I don't really have the right words for it. I know I'm sure somebody does, 
but that's simply that says, oh, that's so terrible that that's happening to you. Glad it's not me. You know, there's something of that mixed in. And then compassion takes the best of both of those. I, I can feel what someone's feeling. I can relate. I can connect. And I am willing and motivated to take action, to uh, work to improve the situation. That's what I uh, see compassion as. So when when, when I think about, and, and that doesn't really answer the question, but it helps me to get at the, the answer to the question, what does compassion look like? Well, it's a little different than empathy, a little different than sympathy. It has the best of both of those, but it has this uh, component of taking action for the betterment of all involved in it as well. So how do I know what it looks like? You know, if I'm on the receiving end of this thing, uh, right now we're going to call compassion. I don't know if it's empathy, sympathy, compassion, kindness. You know, those all can look the same to the person that's receiving the attention. So I think that for me, it starts with the attention. Am, am I giving the attention to this that somebody needs uh, or wants? Am I paying attention? Am I aware? Have I, have I connected with them on some level? And I agree with your definition there of the sympathy, having this element of glad it's not me. Mm. You know? um, and I was taught that when I was working on uh, that concept of gratitude. That's not really gratitude if I'm going, wow, that's terrible. Glad it's not me. You know, that's yes. just self-defense. And so, you know, um, but I know it when I see it. There's there's a feeling that goes along with this behavior of being kind when somebody's being kind to me or, or being compassionate toward me or expressing sympathy or or being empathetic. I feel it. It's there's a heart feeling of some kind that goes along with that. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that the simple answer for me is what does compassion look like? I don't know that it looks like anything, but I know what it feels like. I know what it feels like when uh, I am witnessing it and I know what it feels like when I am when I'm practicing it myself. But, you know, it took some doing to get to that place. Uh, one way that I found that I could begin to get a handle on it is to watch for others who seemed compassionate and ask myself what are what is it that they're doing or not doing can i tell by um observing them uh you know how is this thing that you know i can feel it feels like there's compassion going on here well what does it look like what are they doing or not doing and usually uh, or almost inevitably they're not talking about themselves they're not um, trying to alleviate any kind of inner upset of their own at the expense of another person, they are, uh, they're reading, you know, they're coming across as completely comfortable in their own skin and in their own being. And they're just, they are present for the other person, just kind of taking in the other person's experience without judgment. Um, that's, what I saw when I looked around and said, you know, well, when, when I, when I know that I am in the presence of compassion, even if it's between two other people and I'm just watching, um, what does that look like? That's what I began to see that it looked like. And at least, you know, that's, that's nice that knowing that doesn't mean that I can all of a sudden do it, but at least I'm beginning to develop a sense of, you know, is it there? Is it not there? And therefore, uh, what do I need to do in order to foster it more so in myself? Earlier, I spoke about um, attention seeking, 
you know, is one of the manifestations of this fear, um, you know, the, and the people pleasing. And, and it occurs to me that this lack of self-focus that you spoke about, that, that being on the receiving end, it feels like attention to me. It feels like somebody being fully present. It feels like somebody actually listening and hearing, not just standing there for five minutes while I tell my tale, whatever it may be, but that has, has responses and it, and they do not try to fix me. They don't have answers for every single, uh, what if that I'm coming up with, they don't, you know, the, which is a skill I have learned that has mm. to be developed to be able to understand the emotion or the feeling under the the commentary that that I am giving them for somebody to to listen to this whole story and then be able to say wow that must feel really bad oh <laughs> you know you caught that when when I was looking for a solution help me get me out of this you know save me give me a solution which is what I was looking for when I first came into the program right exactly and and the wisest people that I encountered were the ones that uh, we're not, um, you know, we're not responding in kind. You know, I might have the energy of, you know, tell me how to fix this. Um, and, but what I was met with was the energy of presence. You know, someone's fully present with me. Somebody maybe that has uh, had some of the same experiences I've had. So they have a, a connection built in there, but they also know that the solution has to come from within myself, you know, from the spirit in me, if you will, um, from the presence of God in myself as a guide, not from them as a guide. And, and we do talk about this uh, often at church, and I will say to people, I am not, I don't have all the answers, but I might have some ideas about how we could go about um, each of us finding for ourselves uh, what the truth is in any situation, what the answers are in any situation. Uh, one thing that I practiced um, that kind of um, launched out of watching others who seem compassionate, so I'm asking what are they doing or not doing, is practicing withholding judgment. You know, one of the ways that my mind uh, tried to make it so I was okay in the world is by um, uh, making sure that I understood what was going on. Uh, even if I didn't understand what was going on, I have to have some explanation that made sense because I didn't feel comfortable if something didn't make sense. And and so I could ask myself, well, what if I pretend that I, I don't know? What if I just, you know, practice not having an answer and saying, yeah, that's a, that's a tough situation. I don't know what's going on. I'm not sure what to do. It's a very uncomfortable place for me. So what if I pretend I might not know or I might not be right? What would that look like? You know, there's a comedian, Mike Birbiglia, who I'm convinced is an Enneagram 5 like me. If you hear him, uh, you might. And he's, he's relating getting in a fight with his girlfriend. And she says, why do you always have to be right? He says, I don't have to be right. I just am. <laughs> which is hilarious because it's sort of the ultimate expression of the need to be right is not even seeing it as the need to be right. But we all have it. If we could recognize it and then make a little game, maybe a little game, like what if I just pretended for this moment that it's okay not to know the answer, what would happen? And then just watch and see. So I found that doing things like that uh, help to uh, smooth the way, if you will, or, or show me the path toward uh, further experiences of compassion. One of the things that I noticed was that 
people that expressed compassion had a balanced expression about them. They didn't seek um, or express only the the difficult things, and they didn't only express the good things. You know, they weren't all Pollyanna all the time, nor were they doom and gloom all the time. They they kind of rolled with the punches, and you know, it it led me to think about a balanced expression of emotion, and a balanced uh, way to evaluate the world, and and. You know, nothing is all good and nothing was all bad. And they had options. They had choices about how to respond in the moment to somebody instead of declaring it all bad or declaring it all good. And and that, um, you know, was helpful to me because being able to get some sense of accuracy about my own self-evaluation started to quiet the the voices in my head um, when I could say, no, I know that's not true. I'm really good at this. And so I'm not going to listen to you right now. One way that uh, I found that helped me was asking, uh, what would a compassionate response look like? You know, even just like in theory, uh, maybe I interacted with someone and realized that I was not particularly compassionate. And I could say, well, what would a, what would, if someone who are really good at being compassionate were here, what would they have done? What would it look like different? It reminds me of that, um, those uh, little rubber bracelets that came into vogue, WWJD, what would Jesus do? I like the uh, WWTDLD, what would the Dalai Lama do? Is another way to ask, because the Dalai Lama has always struck me um, as a person who carries a tremendous amount of compassion uh, with him. Um, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh also. And so ask, you know, well, what would Jesus or the Dalai Lama, you know, what would somebody who's clearly very, very adept at this, um, what what would they do if they were here? You know, what would that look like? And again, that's just another way to, to help me get gain some clues, you know, to kind of shine a little bit of a brighter light on the road that I need to walk down. Because, um, you know, clearly I would not be asking myself these things if I already knew how this worked. I need all the clues I can get. And even if they're small and they come up in these ways, they can be helpful. Yes. And so this phrase, don't shoot our wounded, is really about compassion. It's about, you know, we help one another and we support one another. We don't we don't trip each other up. We meet the wounds that we brought into the program or into life with compassion. One thing that comes to mind is act that I actively seek connections with others, and here's the different part, for no particular reason, meaning not because there's something that I want from them, but just for the joy of making a connection, which, you know, earlier in my life, that's the last thing I wanted. That just sounded like trouble. You know, that's the last thing that I wanted to do. So hold that thought, Dan, because it's time for a short break. And when we come back, we'd love to hear from our listeners as we continue the conversation. The phone number is 816-251-3555. Please stay with us. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. 
Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice and Rev. Dan Beckett. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're glad you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, my name is Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice and I'm here with Rev. Dan Beckett. We'll resume our discussion in just a moment, but first we want to let you know that the phone lines are open. So if you have a question or a comment to share, please give us a call at 816-251-3555. Again, that number is 816-251-3555. So prior to the break, we were discussing criticism, both uh, of self and of others, you know, that inner critic and that inner voice, and also uh, the solution of compassion. Uh, What is that? What does it look like? So now that we know that the challenge is this excessive criticism of ourselves and others, and the solution is somehow rooted in this thing we call compassion, how exactly can we use compassion to create serenity and peace in our lives? That is a great question. <laughs> you know, and it's it's like so many things. It's a process of some kind. You know, we just start. You know, I can, I can remember being pretty new in the program, and my sponsor gave me a little card. And, and on that, it was a business card side, size. And it, what it said on it was, be good to yourself. And she would say that to me every now and then. She'd say, be good to yourself. I didn't have a clue as to what she was talking about. I thought it meant take myself out for ice cream, go get a pedicure, you know, uh, go shopping and spend some money on myself. That's what I thought be good to yourself meant. And I have come to understand that it was about or is about that inner critic, that voice inside. I'm beating myself up all the time. And she's saying, be good to yourself, you know, and, and, but it took a long time for me to to figure that out, to figure out this process of what do I have to let go of and what do I have to start doing or being differently. I was going to joke that as I ask you that question, I'm ready to take notes because I don't have the answer to this. I was hoping (laughs) that you did. But I suspect that between us, we'll uh, come up with enough clues and uh, approaches to at least, uh, as I like to think of it, you know, shine, shine a little bit of a brighter light on uh, what's the next right thing, where's this path going that will lead to a deeper uh, understanding of and ability to be a compassionate person and and, and to uh, experience the serenity and the peace in my life that comes with that. But my first answer to that question is how, how do you how do you do this? How do you use compassion to create uh, peace? Practice, 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 right? You could say that about everything in this program. Um, everything that I've learned, every principle that underlies a step, um, every activity that we do as we work the steps or that we do um, as a recovery community, it all takes practice. I have not found anything to be something that I do once and then I'm done. Everything is a matter of learning a new way of being and then practicing that new way of being over and over again. So how do I use compassion to move from criticism to serenity, practice. One uh, technique that had come to mind somewhere along the way is um, if you've ever heard uh, or think of a, a time when you've heard someone else being self-critical, you know, kind of out loud or like, oh, you know, I made this lunch for us, but it's really not very good. And I would say, 
would it be appropriate for me to say to you or for you to say to me, um, oh, you made this lunch for us, but it's really not very good. Of course not. It's so easy to see that that is not an appropriate way for a friend to speak to another friend who's done something for them, like make lunch. So then why is it okay for me to say that about myself? It's not. Um, but when I put it in the context of put those same words on someone else's lips, uh, does it does it fly? Oh no, this is, that ain't right at all. Well, guess what? It's not right when I say it to myself either. You know, I was given a tool very similar to that. I was told to imagine my best friend, whoever it was at the time, and would I say that to my best friend? The things that run through my mind, the the names that I call myself, the the uh, critical. Uh, voice that tells me that I'm less than or worthless or incompetent or whatever all those words are, would I say that to my best friend? And, you know, it's easy to say, well, no, I wouldn't. But then to stop the record, to stop the tape that just keeps playing, you know, like we've talked about before, the first key is awareness for mm -hmm. me to, to find out that's what I'm doing. And we practice that actually in our, our workplaces. We, um, we practice calling each other out on it when somebody says, oh, this whole thing, I just picked it up at the secondhand store. I said, all you got to do is say thank you. When somebody compliments you, you know, quit putting it down because it's, it's endemic. I think that's a great example of a broader category. And you mentioned it a little while ago, uh, self-care. Right. Self-care can take on many different forms. And, and I think you had mentioned you had a sponsor that would say, take care of yourself. Uh, I like that because it's a very broad and positive statement. And it allows me to consider, well, what does that mean? What does that look like if I were to take care of myself? I've learned along the way that one way to practice compassion is to make sure that that I'm getting what I need in order to be OK in the world. And that can sound like a self-centered way of being, but when it's in balance with um, being in the world and serving others, I think that's where it's most powerful. And so even though uh, we might recognize that, well, we, we got into uh, recovery uh, as a very self-centered person and it's not good or right to be self-centered all the time, it's okay to take care of oneself as long as I'm balancing. You know, if I'm in balance, then then everything's okay. The problem is that I'm so far out of balance towards concern of self that I don't even have the skills to be of service in the world. But I can develop those skills, you know, by being part of a recovery community or a church community or whatever um, I do to think about what can I do, um, how can I use my talents to support others in their life, and again, if that's all I do, there's a different program for that, right? That's called Al-Anon or, or what have you. If, if all I can do is think about helping others, then I'm out of balance also. So one way I can practice compassion is by realizing it is okay for me to take some time off, right? It's okay for me to um, take care of my self to, uh, you know, speak with a friend, to get a massage, to uh, engage in a counseling practice, to sit and do nothing, aka meditate. Uh, all of that, it's okay and good and right for me to do that because that's what allows me to renew and refresh. And then I can go out and uh, find ways to be of service and be helpful to others. 
You know, that was really a baffling situation for me. I didn't understand the difference between giving in service and giving out a codependency. And I think that self-care is the key in that, that because when I'm giving out of my codependency is I don't have it to give. You know, I am I am not taking care of myself, but I'm trying to take care of you. Um, you know, I, I don't have, I haven't eaten lunch myself here. Why don't you have my sandwich? You look hungry. You know, I mean, there's, there's all of these elements that go into that and that tips the balance. And, and somebody would say uh, to me something along the lines of, you know, uh, be of service. And I heard go out and do for others. And I felt exhausted and incompetent and unable to, to do those things. And so that's part of that journey for me was to learn what, what is this thing called balance? How do we understand what our motive is? Why we're acting the way we're doing, you know, we're acting, why I was acting, I was acting out of codependency because I had a need that wasn't filled and I'm trying to get it filled by somebody else. Self-care means I'm filling that need myself. You know, I'm, I'm taking care of that myself. I'm not looking to the outside world to fix that for me. And, and I had to learn that through this process. And so, you know, uh, I had to, I had to notice the things that I was doing and then work backwards and go, why am I doing that? You know, where am I in this? And so, you know, uh, noticing helped me to understand when I would see somebody else's behavior and I could, I could look at them and go, okay, they're being compassionate. And then I would evaluate, are they also taking care of themselves? Oh yeah. They told me they took a nap. They've had lunch. They're going to go out with their girlfriend later, you know, whatever. And I'm going, okay, that's what that looks like. That's how we get from here to there. Yeah. It's, it's as if they, uh, they have built up a storehouse, if you will, of, of energy that they can then share without depleting and running their own, um, you know, tank down to empty, so to speak. You, know, you mentioned noticing, and I, I have found that to be an extraordinarily powerful principle in itself. In fact, I've had a meditation teacher that basically said, look, all you have to do is notice what's going on in your inner experience as you sit uh, in your meditation. That's it. The hard part is keeping it at that. You know, that's a very simple thing to do, but it's not very easy to let that be enough and to, you know, oh, I noticed this and, oh, I got to do that and they shouldn't do that and see all the voice and the judgment. Hang on a second. Just stop at the noticing part. You know, do like the big Lebowski and just nod and say far out. Oh, look what's happening far out, man. Wow. Check that out. And just stop, you know, no judgment. Or the instruction uh, was, and I, and I repeat this today as I lead meditations, you know, you may find that your mind has wandered. That's no problem. Uh, but when you notice, just simply bring your attention back to the motion of your breath without judgment. Those last two words are what make it really, really challenging. It's like, oh, I was doing it right, and then now I'm doing it wrong. No, you're doing it right the whole time. The practice is return your attention to your breath and let that be enough. If you find yourself doing anything other than that, so what? Just return your attention to your breath and let that be enough. You're doing it right the whole time. And that is a really difficult thing to do, you know, to... to uh to shut down that that chain of thoughts for me it's like a spiral once it starts it just keeps going and and i found that um i would i would notice that my mind was wandering off not necessarily in meditation but down the uh self-critic path 
And I would catch myself then because I noticed it and I would go, oh, no, that's not true. And I would, you know, treat that situation and affirm what I know to be the truth and shut it down. You know, one of my uh, counselors, I think it was, gave me a phrase. She said, say, yeah, thank you for sharing. Now shut up. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't need to hear from the committee anymore. That's perfect. But yeah, but it took a while for me to catch that train of thought that that was already running down the track before I could get to the point of shutting it down. And, and, and I got better at it to the point that now I can catch it almost immediately. And I go, not going there, not doing that. Yeah, and that's a, definitely an acquired skill, you know, and it begins with what you mentioned before, with noticing. That's why noticing is so powerful, because without it, you know, we g completely give away any power that we might be able to regain over uh, things like, uh, you know, a thought process that's about to become a train wreck. And this, you know, it's all about increasing self-awareness. And, you know, there are various practices that I have learned and can learn uh, to, to get better at noticing what is happening with me. You know, a formal meditation practice is one of them, you know, a sitting, a formal sitting practice, but also an informal practice, which is where I just, anytime it occurs to me, I just, you know, step back mentally, if you will, take a breath just for a few seconds and just check in. You know, how, how is it with me right now? Oh, oh man, my shoulders are tight. I didn't even notice that because I was so deep into whatever I was doing. Let me, let me shake that out a little bit. Okay, you know, I see what's going on. And just momentary touch points like that can be extremely powerful. Um, there are practices like journaling that can help me see what's going on with me. Um, weekly counseling, psychological counseling can help me see what's going on with me. Um, regular massage can help me see what's going on. You know, there are lots of ways that, um, or mechanisms or practices that I can use, but they're all oriented towards increasing my self-awareness because just like with the noticing, the, the more self-aware I am, the more choice I have about, you know, what my experience is. Because just like you share, you can stop, I can stop that train wreck of thoughts in its tracks at step one, before it gets completely out of hand and I've and I've totally lost my ability to choose. But I can only do that if I have self-awareness. And that's why those practices I find to be so helpful. And that is a way that I can use compassion because I'm basically saying, look, wh whatever's going on within me, that matters. It matters. It's important. Let me check in and see what it is uh, without, again, without judging it. Because that will help me, again, uh, shine the light a little bit brighter or the light shines a little bit brighter and it'll help me find my way towards a life um, where my experience is much more of peace and serenity and much less of that inner critical voice. You know, I mentioned earlier about this feeling that goes with compassion, this indescribable feeling. It's not really an emotion, but it's kind of a, of a, of a body level feeling or whatever. But I, the, the way I started connecting those, I was given another tool and I was told to go borrow a small child, like a, a <laughs> two or a three-year-old, because I didn't have any. And, you know, to, to go borrow this small child and observe, to sit in the floor and play with this child and observe. There are no mistakes. They, they are at that age pretty much just being happy as a clam with whatever they're doing. If they break a crayon, they set down that half or they eat it or whatever, you know. But, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's not a problem. 
and they roll with the punches and they just are very present in the moment and to to learn to to be that way with myself and and that was a mode of practicing acceptance you know and learning about how how my judgment interferes with the way that I am in the world you know with my the essence of my being the other tool that I was given was uh, to to borrow a, a small kitten or a or a dog how would I treat that kitten or that puppy you know and that feeling that I have uh, with them a helpless creature that looks to other people to to uh, fill their needs as a small small child does and can I connect that feeling when I am behaving appropriately with these these uh, small animals and, and small children and that was helpful to me yeah I I, I, I could see that being very helpful because what I'm hearing is that you you have found a source of pure being so to speak and I say oh what what does it look like? Uh, when I'm around small child or an animal that has no sense of, oh, I did it wrong, and just very much in the here and the now uh, to help us understand what that might be like. Um, I, I have noticed, uh, you know, I often talk about the power of the group, you know, especially the power of an intentional uh, recovery group, because one thing I can do when I'm part of the group is notice what's happening, um, you know, I talked before about notice what's happening within myself in in a solitary situation like a meditation, but I can also notice what's happening when I'm around other people, like in a meeting. So I can make a game out of um, w noticing what happens within me as this person shares whatever they're sharing and that person shares whatever that sharing is like, oh, I always like what this person says, oh man, that guy again, really? You know, I, I can see the various responses in myself just allowing each person who's simply being exactly who they are right there, you know, sharing what's right and true with them in that moment, I've heard it expressed as. And uh, that's not a problem. What the problem is, is what does my mind want to do with that? Oh, uh, I like that. You should talk more. Oh, you should be quiet and listen to my favorite person over there. You know, I'm, I'm doing that thing that the literature talks about. I'm trying to direct. I got a role written for everyone. And the problem is they're just not speaking the lines that I wrote for them. If they would just do that, everything would be fine. But the power of the group shows up in that it is an opportunity for me to notice what is going on within me as, as this whole, you know, one-hour discussion unfolds. And the, the more I'm willing to just see it for what it is and not get all caught up in it, which takes practice. The more that I'm willing to do that, the more helpful uh, it can be. And I, I found that to be terrifically helpful because I have been, I have been, you know, the, the most critical voice that I know of in my own head in a recovery group meeting, but I've also been the most open that I've ever been in a meeting. And it, it's just a great um, laboratory, if you will, to practice that. You know, after a while in the program, I got bored. I got bored with um, the meetings. I got bored with the, the this person and the that person and the um, the ego creeps back in and the, well, what can I possibly learn? They've said the same things 800 times, you know, and, and all of those kind of attitudes and everything. And I was given another tool and that was to take a small notebook to the meeting and have the intention, set the intention to learn something from every person around the table. And when I did that, 
I could set aside, and we've talked about this before, as being principles over personalities. You know, I can set aside the personality, the 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 presentation that I don't care for, the lack of good English, the whatever that it, that my mind is going. Oh, there that doesn't. I, you know, whatever my mind uses to discount their sharing, and I can listen for the truth, the kernel of truth that they have to share with me if I can be open to it. And when I did that and I forced myself to make a note, you know, this guy shared about God and his, his uh, not with names or anything, but, you know, his concept of God is this. You know, this person shared about um, crisis and this is what they did about that. I have notebooks full of wonderful ideas that I finally started getting out of there when I quit listening to the messenger and started listening to the message. Yeah, that concept of principles over not personalities is is deceptively powerful. I mean, our 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 unity movement is based on spiritual principles, and sort of the unspoken part is not personalities. And uh, I love that that uh, practice and that um, way of making a game or setting an intention. To uh, what I'm hearing is you're looking for the good in anything that anyone might have to say instead of looking for you know where where i might think that it's deficient instead of that purposely look for what in it is helpful to them to me to a, a hypothetical person you know to to anybody um one you know we have many sayings in recovery programs and one of them that i've always liked because it really simplified things and i like when things are simple, it helps me get, uh, you know, get my head wrapped around them, so to speak. And it goes like this. All you got to do is trust God, clean house, and help others. That's the program. And so if I'm feeling lost, I could ask myself, you know, which of these am I not doing? You know, am I out of balance? If I look at all three of these things, am I out of balance? And the part about trusting God, I think I had to is is I think probably been the most difficult because it's such an abstract concept. Like, what does that even mean? You know, I, I don't even know. I preach every Sunday, and I, I'm not even sure I know what this God thing is that we're talking about. You know, how, how am I going to trust it when it's just, you know, I have a an internal sense of it that I'm constantly sort of trying to find the right words to language it, you know, the right signposts, the right analogies or metaphors to kind of communicate what is the shape and the motion of this thing that seems so um, powerful and present yet so uh, difficult to um, enumerate you know or 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 to nail down but one way that i can use compassion to get out of that critical voice and move towards serenity is to do exactly what that says trust god well I don't know if this is going to work out, and I don't understand it. Okay, so what? Let's pretend that it's going to work out just fine. And and maybe it's going to work out just fine in a way that would never have occurred to me. So let me just let go of the idea that I need to decide how it's going to work out and take up the idea that, uh, you know what, why don't I just pretend it's going to be fine? That's a way of trusting God. Why don't I just pretend it's going to be fine and see what happens? As long as my I'm not literally in a car hurtling towards the edge of a cliff, that's something that I can do. Now, if that were happening, I might not want to, but that's not what's going on in my life. 
And so for me, the first step in trusting God is is to use G-O-D as good orderly direction. You know, what's the next right thing? If I can break it down that small, then I can get a clue as to what direction I need to go. And, you know, God is, for me, a spiritual principle, the way that that acts and interacts in my life. And so if I can get to the good orderly direction, I've got I've got some idea of what what's next, what I need to do. I love that. So let's now move into action. Unity's fifth principle states it's not enough to know these truths. We must live them. That means we must each take action in order to grow and recover. So here's something you can do to move from old habits of criticism to a place of serenity using compassion. Think of a situation where you tend to be overly critical of either yourself or somebody else. Are you hard on yourself if you make a mistake at work? Do you often criticize family members if they do something that you think is wrong? Do you criticize yourself for the life conditions that you're experiencing right now? Or maybe like not having enough money or feeling stressed out a lot? What's important is to pick one thing, something simple, to focus on right here in today's exercise. And you can take what you learn here today into your life this week and return to it anytime you choose in order to find peace. So let's use the example of being overly critical of ourselves when we make a mistake. So we use a statement of power or what we refer to in unity as a denial to deny any power to this inner critic. You could say something like, negative self-talk is not the truth of my being. Repeat it a few times in your head or say it aloud, but say it with conviction. Negative self-talk is not the truth of my being. And follow that up immediately with a bold and positive affirmation of a new experience. So you could say something like, I look for the good in myself and others. I see the Christ in everyone and everything. And then take a few quiet moments to relax and take it easy. There's no need to struggle. You just take a few breaths and give thanks for your new experience in the world and then move on with your day. Once again, negative self-talk is not the truth of my being. I look for the good in myself and others. I see the Christ in everyone and everything. So we've come to the end of our time together here today, and we hope that you found something that'll help you on your recovery path. We want to thank all our listeners, and we bless you on your recovery journey. And thank you so much to my co-host, Reverend Dan Beckett, for all the insights that were shared in our discussion today. And listeners, again, if you would like, you can connect with us during the week anytime on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, to give us your thoughts and feedback. And we invite you to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. Until then, have a wonder-filled week. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Life is hard, and sometimes you need a little help and guidance. I'm Laura West, host of a Guided Life podcast, and I believe that help is all around us. We just have to ask for it. The universe has a way of guiding us forward with the help of our past loved ones, angels, spirit guides, and ascended masters. On the podcast, I love to explore these ideas with incredible guests and let people know that they are never alone. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you can join me on this journey. 
part of the mindbodyspirit.fm network and wherever you get your podcasts.